Oh, thanks, Steve. That was awesome. Good morning. So, like Troy said, uh, my name is Ryan Hughes. For those of you that don't know me, and uh, I've got a picture of my family. I'll introduce myself. Yeah. So, first, uh, my wife Carrie and I have been here at Cuddlebrook for about the last 10 years. Uh, we were married for about 16 years, not about exactly 16 years. Friday was actually our 16th anniversary. Yeah. Thank you. So, Carrie, she's the ultimate server, servant to our family and uh, servant of Jesus. So, Beth, definitely the best servant in our house. That's, that's no joke for sure. Next off, we have uh, Archie. He's 13. He's my history buff. Uh, loves to learn and read about almost anything you put in front of him. Theodore, he's my uh, little competitor. Loves hunting and fishing with me. Uh, he also likes to dis- uh, disguise his smarts with his humor. And he gets that from his mom, obviously. And um, lastly, but not least, is my beautiful daughter, Eloise, who's eight. And she's my sweet, uber-competitive, beautiful little girl. So one thing I'm most grateful for about Kettlebrook, Kettlebrook is their children's ministry and how they just pour into our kids from little on. I'm so proud of how my kids have been able to grow up and see. They teach this in the children's ministry, how they, how they see brokenness like Jesus would see it, and they move towards it, right? They don't move away. Jesus never retracted from brokenness, so super thankful. As for me, I'm an uh, industrial electrician, right? Uh, My day job, for fun, I like tinkering with anything broke, pretty much. That's like my favorite thing to do. Um, Hunting and fishing, close second and third, definitely. So, how does Ryan Hughes end up up here? You might ask, and that's a very good question. Uh, I got one word, uh, it's Lather. Uh, Troy Lather, that is. Uh, give you a little vision of what it's like being friends with this guy to take you back to driver's ed, right, on your driving test. Driving along, instructor reaches over, and instead of hitting the brake, he mashes the gas pedal on you. And you're like, wow! He's like, yeah, that's what it's like being friends with Troy. And that's how I end up up here preaching. So, actually, uh, all jokes aside, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. It's really helped me grow um, and given me um, uh, just discipline that I really need to, to study and learn about what, what the Scripture actually says. And uh, I'm super thankful for that. And I think we all need a person like Troy in our lives to challenge us to grow and not only grow but then share about that. What did we learn? Share about that. Talk about it. And... Uh, this is not a vacation for these pastors in the summer, I'll tell you that. I'm pretty sure this would have been way easier if Troy would have just preached this himself. He has hours and hours invested into me, and this is like draft eight. So he's probably read them all. So, so today we're going to talk about being compelled to share something, right? So a little funny story. Oakland Euros. Anybody like Euros? Oakland Euros especially. So I love Oakland Euros. Uh, Oakland Euros, especially because you get your own bottle of tzatziki sauce. It's that white, cucumbery, garlicky goodness. And it's just hold it in your hand, squirt, bite, squirt, bite. And it's just running down your elbow. And then you're like, oh, don't ever want to leave. Um, so when I do that, because I love my wife, I'm compelled to share with her that I ate at Oakland Euros and that she should probably face the other way 
in bed at night so she doesn't have to smell my dragon breath because no matter how much mouthwash or toothbrushing you do, it's not coming out of there. So, all seriousness, or joking aside, I should say, the early church had seen something that compelled them to share as well. They had just seen the resurrected Jesus, but they had also seen the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were compelled to be witnesses of the power of the gospel. We too are able to not only experience this power, but we are called to bear witness and share this as well. So today we're going to be in uh, Acts 8, uh, which I kind of titled, You Will Be My Witnesses. It's going to be on Acts 8, verses 1 through 8, and uh, page 776 in the Brown Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. A couple of things to listen for during the message is, um, number one, how God gets his direct command accomplished. Number two, how do the people react to this then? And uh, three, what is the outcome of their sharing? So as we open the book of Acts, uh, I'll catch you up on where we're at in this first seven chapters. Uh, Jesus is coming back from the dead, met with his disciples, the apostles, uh, and he sent them out to be witnesses of what they, they have seen and of what, what has happened. So they started to do that, right? And uh, just last week, uh, Nate Toby shared about how this wasn't always easy. Um, Stephen, he preached about last week, Stephen was the first Christian martyr who was actually stoned to death and died for preaching um, his faith in Jesus. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning. And I'd like to pray before we get into God's Word. Well, Father, thank you again for this opportunity to share your Word. I just ask for clarity. Um, give me your words and let the words not come back empty, but full of the Holy Spirit. Let me uh, share exactly what they need to hear. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So, chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he did. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So as we just read, uh, Luke, the Apostle Luke, is... Uh, the author, in case you didn't know. Um, but he starts out with writing this great sequel to Stephen's death. So not only did Saul approve, but it said that he actually held their coats when these guys went out and stoned Stephen to death. So he was on board, definitely, and he's probably a little, little twisted by doing that. So why this great distaste for Stephen by Saul, you may ask? Need a little history, right? Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew, as were most of those who fell under the harshest persecution at the time. Although all the believers of Jesus were persecuted, uh, Hellenists were especially hated at the time. Saul was a pure-blood, strict-to-break Jew. Stephen, a Greek-speaking, mixed-race, half-Gentile, half-Jew Hellenist, as were many of the new disciples. Hellenists and Hebraic Jews had been in a thousand-year-long dispute. And Saul wanted no part in seeing them released by the Sanhedrin, 
like the apostles had been a short time earlier in Acts 5 when Peter laid the true smack down. I'd just like to read what Peter had said. It's kind of like what Steve was mentioning. Um, they were just getting persecuted. Um, and Peter says, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance for, and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, so, so whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter is throwing some pretty harsh truths out right here, right? He actually accuses the Sanhedrin of killing the Messiah, Jesus. And let's just say Saul didn't forget about this speech to the Sanhedrin. He wanted swift, crushing action to put out this vile threat once and for all. So Saul didn't stop with Stephen that day. He went on house to house, like it says, uh, sparing no one, not even the women and children. So in the wake of this great persecution was a great scattering of Christians throughout Judea and Samaria, like it says. Sound familiar? Well, it should, because in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus tells us this very thing. You will be you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The great news is that Saul overstepped his bounds on this day, with this persecution having an opposite effect of what Saul had hoped. The persecution led to scattering, which led to spreading the good news, which led to more people believing in our Jesus. That's a big booyah. So... To recap on that uh, first point, how did God get his command accomplished? If you could look back on verses 1 and 4 for me, and then tell me how did God get his command to spread the good news accomplished. What, did he, what happened? Anybody know? You can scream it out. Not everybody at once. Persecution. That's right. The early Christians were persecuted and scattered and as they went, they shared. So God was able to even use their persecution for his glory, right? And that throughout Scripture we have seen that what man has intended for evil, God has used for good. Just like they talked about in the children's uh, message, Sally's uncle has uh, intended a lot of things for evil, but God continues to use them for his glory and to spread his word. So, on to point number two, how do the people react to this? And what is the response of these scattered peoples? More specifically, Philip the evangelist. Philip, like Stephen, was one of the seven new disciples um, entrusted by the original 12 apostles. Um, They were entrusted to take care of the day-to-day communal and administrative stuff of the new church. Uh, They were not apostles, but more like deacons. And scholars say Philip was one of the first as well as one of the best examples on how to evangelize in two distinct and separate ways to two peoples using the same message. We have a slide about J.R.W. Scott. He says it like this. Philip had the ability to preach with change and changelessness. So what does that mean besides being a catchy phrase? So Philip preached the thousands in the city of Samaria, and he preached to one man like we'll read shortly. But what didn't change, so his context changed, right? But what didn't change was his message. Never changed. It's the gospel. It's Jesus came. He saved us. And um, the grace is there for everyone who believes in him. 
So context changed, message never changes. So Philip first goes to Samaria where he is well received by his fellow Hellenist people, which isn't too unexpected since he's comfortable with the customs and cultures there. But his second trip is just nuts to me. As we read in verse 26 through 29, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I'm going to take a time out here. If I'm Philip, I was just scattered because of the persecution. This is like happening days. This isn't like months. This is a couple days this is happening in. He goes up to Samaria. Thousands of people in that city are amazed and wondered at the miracles that God has allowed him to do through his Holy Spirit and the power he's given him. And now he's calling him to the desert. And I'm going to be like, how about a little sabbatical here? Let's back her off a little bit. But thankfully that's not what Philip does, right? 27 says, so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candate, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go to a specific desert road at noon. It's noon in the desert. So there's nobody goes there. That's ridiculous. It's hot. It's the desert. Nobody goes out there. But Philip does it. And lo and behold, there's a man headed on his way home from worshiping in Jerusalem and reading aloud from a scripture in Isaiah. So Philip proceeds to explain the meaning of the scripture and eventually baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. It's an amazing act of courage and obedience for Philip to hear, listen, and act on what the Holy Spirit has directed him to do. And uh, living in this type of obedience must be so freeing, I'm imagining. So, a little story. Um, last year, I was headed on a trip over to the North Caucasus in Russia, and we were going to go help a group over there that we serve um, run a bouldering event, like a mountain climbing event. And in preparation for that, we were going to go and do a prayer walk to kind of prepare us, as we do that a lot in the neighborhoods when we're there as well. So we went to Aaron and Angie Polnos, who has been missionaries in the past in Montenegro, since moved back south Milwaukee intentionally into the neighborhood where there's a lot of refugees, Syrian and Rohingya refugees. Uh, and they're joined there by Steve and Ann, who retired a couple from Delafield. And in their retirement, they moved to south Milwaukee in the same area, work at the English Center there and work with refugees intentionally to try to uh, share Jesus with these refugees and just help them. So we, we end up at Aaron and Angie's, and uh, we're gonna, just going to walk around the neighborhood, and we're going to pray. Right? We're just going to pray for these people to receive Jesus in some way through a relationship. Just give us an in somehow, Lord. And um, so we're praying around. It was uh, Oliver Vogel, Ann, and I. We got about two blocks uh, down the road, and we're in front of these. She's like, there's these two brothers we uh, have a special relationship with we're trying to build on. They're Syrian refugees. One of them's named Salam them Roof. And uh, we're actually praying right outside of their house. And these people <laughs> drive down the road, and it's Maruf and his brother. And uh, they pull over. They see Ann. They're waving at him. They invite us over. And she's like, you know, we have to go over there and say hi. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. So we go say hi to these guys. And um, they're a warm culture, so you don't just say hi and keep moving like we do here. They invite us up. They just got home from work, but they invite us up into their house. Um, we go up into Maruf's 
uh, house, and his wife's there with a toddler on the floor and the two older boys, and instantly she cleans everything up and invites us in. We sit down. She makes us Turkish coffee, Turkish coffee uh, all these homemade decadent sweets out in front of us, you know, just makes us feel so welcome. And meanwhile, Maruf uh, gets his mat out, and he's Muslim, so he's praying uh, right in front of us. And at that point, I was just so convicted, like, here's a refugee in a foreign country, bold enough for his faith to pray in front of me. I'm like, do I do that? I feel uncomfortable at Applebee's, you know, praying here. I'm like, serious. But uh, so she shared all these delicious treats. And like this whole time, I was like, I was so excited. This whole time, I was like, I can't wait to share this experience. And there was no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit was, you know, directing our steps and uh, I actually felt a little bit like Philip here where uh, out of nowhere the door opens up and an opportunity was presented uh, for me to engage somebody and uh, Philip took his opportunity and pointed an Ethiopian man to the Lord by baptizing him I uh, drank coffee and ate delicious homemade sweets so we're still working on that right so we see here that Philip's his ability to listen and act on the direction of the Holy Spirit gives Philip an opportunity to evangelize, and we can do the same. Uh, maybe you think you don't have any opportunity to share. Well, what a great thing to pray for, right? Uh, but be careful what you pray for. Actually, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to direct your actions and words? Um, what a great prayer to start with would be um, the believers prayed this in Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. So that's a great starting point for a prayer. Many of us, uh, we don't have the context variation um, like Philip did. Well, Peter, people didn't know Jesus at all, right? But we do have the context of maybe being in relationship or not being in relationship with somebody that we're going to share with or we'd like to share with. So if you have a relationship, right, you can dig a little deeper, maybe push a little harder, and maybe share something you know about them to start a conversation. Um, or if not, maybe you use your own story to explain how Jesus is relevant in your own life. Use that as a starting point. But if you, if you don't have a relationship, I think the Holy Spirit is even more needed for guidance, and that's where meditation and prayer comes in. Knowing what the Word says and reading about how our King acted and navigated through situations is super helpful. Uh, it, it's not a mystery. It's written in this book. Uh, it's not always easy, I know that. Uh, I sometimes make excuses myself not to be in the Word. Um, but, that's, uh, but I've experienced much grace um, in this area, and God has continually led me by the hand as I've tried to hide things and keep things from Him. Um, and then like Nate, Toby said last week, uh, we need to empty out our boat to allow the Holy Spirit to fill it back up. So if we hold all this stuff and hide it from God, there's no room. There's no room. We don't have the capacity. So we need to empty it out. So I have a little slide here of the first trip to the Caucasus. This is in the warehouse we were trying to remodel. This is over in Russia, in Nalchik, um, southern Russia. And uh, they needed this electrical panel moved because they're turning it into a, an indoor climbing center. Being an electrician, I was pretty pumped. I actually get to do something I know in a, a country. And uh, it was a little sketchy, 
some water running down from the outside, and like uh, there was other people that were way more worried about it than myself. But uh, it was sketchy. They were pressure washing the roof or the ceiling, so there's water everywhere. There's electricity right inside the box. Probably not cool. Um, so if you're not trained about electricity, this this looks pretty daunting. What is it? It's full of power, and like the anti-power, which is water. We don't want those two. That's like the antichrist, the power, right? No power in water. That's an electrician's nightmare. So it's not a good mix. But once you have the knowledge and you understand the way that that electricity works, you can use it. We're able to use this power. We use power from electrical panels all the time safely for good things. So I didn't just wake wake up one morning and, oh, voila, I'm I'm an electrician. I'm comfortable doing this, right? No. No, it took years of of training in school. Now, the same, same goes for the Holy Spirit and sharing your faith, I believe. Uh, in the beginning, it seems overwhelming and scary, uh, but a little study and prayer, and you'll see what an awesome tool it is that God has given us, and that's the Holy Spirit. So when do we evangelize? Again, verse 4 says that those who were scattered preached the good news wherever they went like it was natural, because it is natural. Uh, like being naked in the Garden of Eden, um, it's our sin and the evil one that keep us from sharing. They didn't know they were naked until sin entered. It was their own sin that caused them to know that. And it's the same thing. That's what holds us back from sharing. Is my, that's what I, I've been learning. So whether you know it or not, you evangelize or advocate for something every day. Uh, we can use every day as a new, new, new opportunity to be a witness to Jesus. Uh, maybe you're like me and fall victim to language. Um, or you feel pressured by your peers to act differently than you'd like at work, you know, in this. But by just standing firm and allowing the gospel to change your behavior, um, it can be a start to actually evangelizing to, about Jesus in this peer group, right? I mean, trust me, people recognize you being different. so And they recognize quickly. So we all experience things that we can use to help be witnesses in our own unique way. We just fail to give credit where credit is due. Right? Sometimes we take the credit for ourselves, like, yeah, I did it. Um, but by simply giving credit to the Holy Spirit and vocalizing that, uh, or Jesus Christ in our lives, or by simply vocalizing that we believe in Jesus, we can open up doors to those around us that might have questions. And you may not be able to answer all those questions, and that's fine. But you can always be prepared to share your experience, your story within God's greater story. Um, you may be planting a seed, or maybe you're lucky enough to, to harvest, reap the harvest of somebody else's planting before you. Either way, we're called to share upon our faith in Jesus. Knowing the Holy Spirit has been given to us as an ally makes this calling seem a lot less daunting to me. So just a refresher on number two, verse four again says it's pretty straightforward. They preached the word wherever they went. There's not a lot of wiggle in there, right? So we're called to do that. We share this grace with those we're in relationship with, and we pray for opportunities for those that we are not. So that leads us to our last question. What's the outcome? So what is it, what's supposed to happen when we share? What should we be looking for after we share our faith and we share Jesus with others? So recently... In a meeting with Troy, I shared that uh, I didn't really think I had any experiences sharing myself. Uh, 
and that was kind of convicting. I mean, I, I, I know I share with, maybe it's easy for me to share here at Kettlebrook or with my small group or whatever, but how often am I actually doing that at work, in my work context, right? And um, believe it or not, electricians aren't listening to K-Love uh, and quoting scripture on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but I do hear Jesus every day. They're just not using it, praising him. You know, they're not praising him when they say Jesus. So um, this next slide, this little video we're going to show, is, is kind of how I felt. My, my stubbornness and my reluctance to God when I know what I need to do, but I don't do it. I don't want to do it. Because I'm being stubborn and reluctant, and this is kind of what it looks like. This is probably what God sees. This is my picture, Please at least. changed his mind. I don't want to, Dad. Just try it. No! I didn't want it to turn into a fight or for Dad to try and force him to go, but it was really important that Dylan understand this is where he needs to go. You need to tell me where he goes before you can get out of here. I don't know. Well, you need to know. This is a big change, and kids will resist at times, but this is where you need to stand your ground. That's okay. I understand that, Dylan. You've told me. See, that to me is just pure defiance. Want to answer my question? Right? Yeah. Throwing a temper tantrum. It's me and God talking there. I don't know. You know. So anyways, Troy recommends that I go to work and share next week. And report back. (laughs) So I'm like, yikes. Why did I agree to this again? So anyway, uh, two weeks it took me. Like, I'd go up to them. Like, nah. No. No. A couple failed attempts. And then eventually I just asked them. These two construction millwrights on a a job I'd been working with for for a while. And um, I asked them, hey, can I share my, I'm doing this sermon. Can I share this draft with you? They're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. One was in his 30s, one in his 60s. We sat down at break time and started talking. I asked them about their faith a little bit, and uh, they both were of the same faith tradition. It didn't really matter, but um, one said he, he didn't really bring it up in his family because um, it was cause of great arguments, especially with his mom. Like, there was no leeway. It was her way or the highway when it came to religion, and that's the way it was. I mean, there was no asking questions. Um, and... But he did share that his father has actually talked about his faith a little bit more, uh, seeing that he has terminal lung cancer. I was like, oh, boy. And then um, the 60-year-old gentleman, he shared his first experience that he could remember with religion was um, going to school as a young child. His older siblings uh, traveled a little distance and went to a Christian private school. But he had been in a really bad accident as a young child, and he wasn't able to go travel that distance because they walked. So he went to a public school closer, and um, eventually, a couple of years, um, he healed, and he went to the Christian school. And the first thing that he experienced was he was belittled because they made fun of how he wrote, and he was, like, corrected nonstop because he wrote his letters and numbers, you know, how, how dumb. He did his sevens different or whatever, but that was his experience. So that's a good uh, side note for the kids in school. This is a 60-year-old grown man who is telling me his experience is when he was six years old. That's what he remembers about religion, about how he was treated. So it matters 
everything, how we, how we treat people, no matter what their age, what, what the environment, it matters. He hasn't forgotten that. In 55 years, he remembers how he was treated, and he relates that to religion now. So, so um, they were both very polite, and uh, they gave feedback whenever I asked. And my biggest takeaway, without question, was there was never a relationship in either one of their faith journeys. Um, uh, it was just a routine to follow, follow without question, all church, no Jesus. So now what? Uh, I can't just leave it at that, can I? Um, I prayed on what both of them had said, and they gave me gro- both gave me great info, uh, info to follow up on, right? One of them has a terminal father who, who has terminal lung cancer, and the other had had a bad accident that I had never known about in the 10-year relationship I've had with him. I've known that 60-year-old man for 10 years, and I've never known that. That was convicting. Uh, so my work is only... Uh, now begun, but now it doesn't feel like a burden but an opportunity. I wonder if this is how the early followers felt as well, right? Uh, being full of the Holy Spirit, willing to build on what our Jesus started out and commanded us to complete. So, another kind of experience, my life experience here I'm going to share. Sorry, I'm moving this podium up and down and up and down. So, in my past, I've held on to things like drinking to excess and even justifying my actions over and over again. And it took two DUIs, 20 years of hurting others and selfishness before God graciously took the burden of alcohol away from me. Uh, but I needed to acknowledge my behavior and want to change before this could happen. So I could hide in shame, right, and feel unworthy uh, to tell of his grace, but that's not how our God works, thankfully. Uh, he frees us. I made it all the way to six page. Uh, He frees us because Jesus took our guilt and shame upon himself. And uh, we don't deserve it, didn't earn it, but that's the good news of the gospel, and that's what we're we're called to share. Uh, There was uh, a great, not a great, there was one event that triggered this process of me being freed from alcohol. And my parents came to us one day, and told us, uh, Carrie and I, that they were separating. And after 25 years of marriage, my dad was moving to a different apartment. And um, that was kind of a bomb. So as we sat there at the picnic table crying, full of disbelief, all I could come up with was that we needed to pray. Um, so a simple prayer of repair and forgiveness has always said. Uh, this forced me to reconsider my own issues, right, and and how if I didn't deal with them, I could very easily push my loved ones away and end up alone. Um, So if we can put that slide up there, Nathan, of the adoption. Since then, there have been many more prayers. My stepdad is now my dad by adoption. That was awesome. Thank you, Dad. Love you. And uh, it hasn't been smooth but necessary, this sharing of faith to my parents. Um, and my dad has told me that he, he looks up to me and uh, how I handle my family as well as other crises. And my response is, it's not me. It's, uh, I got it from the one that knows it best, you know, it's Jesus. And that's what, we've, that's what I've been taught. So it's awesome to be able to share that. So that wasn't so bad. I made it through that. So looking back at that last question, what's the outcome? So what, what happens when we share, right? What's the outcome of our sharing? People are filled with joy and hope. 
we should see that, which is available to all who commit their lives to our Jesus. And when others see or hear about your life experience um, and how it's been impacted, they can't argue about it. It's your experience, right? They can't argue about what you've experienced. And um, verse 8 says that there was great joy in that city. Verse 39, Philip baptized the eunuch, and he went on his way rejoicing. So whether sharing in a whole city or with a single man, the message stayed the same as did, as did the outcome. It's pure joy. That rejoicing, I believe, is a little taste of what we all hope for. See, no more pain, no more suffering, but angels rejoicing alongside with people of all nations, tongues, and tribes. So while Philip, I admit, is seemingly a natural at this evangelizing thing, uh, we can't discount the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power God bestowed on Philip is available this very day and in, in this very place. So I'd like to look at a couple takeaways, those last three slides. So your faith is your personal experience with Jesus, and nobody can argue about that. It's yours. That's why I shared a bunch of experiences, because you can't argue with me then. <laughs> anyway, and again, share your experience. People will listen to how Jesus has changed you a lot easier than how we think Jesus should change them. So keep your gospel gun in the holster, right? Don't go spraying people with all this stuff they should do because of what you know. Share how it's changed you. And um, lastly, share Jesus, not church. Jesus was about relationship, not about rules. He was about loving and experiencing relationship with people and then them changing because they liked that, because they were drawn to him. Um, so, would you just pray with me in closure? Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity again. I just pray that these words have been your words, that they've been true, that um, maybe through my experience, somebody can relate. And Father, I'm just so thankful for the, the leaders here at, at Kettlebrook and how serious they take the discipleship process. Father, I pray that people that have heard your message, your words, would be changed, and it would be undoubted where this message came from. I pray this all in your name. Amen.